Money Pit is presented by DAP Spray Texture and Dice Coatings. Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And if you've got a project you'd like to get done around your house, you're in exactly the right place because we tackle home improvements every single day and we love helping you get those projects done. So if you've got a DIY project... If you got a little maintenance project, you got an improvement that you want to plan for the days, the weeks, the months, or even the year ahead, reach out to us with your questions at 1-888-MONEYPIT, 888-666-3974, or for the quickest possible response, you can go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. Coming up on today's show, as the days get shorter and the nights get longer, it's a good time to think about adding some security lighting to your home. And this is a job, maybe surprisingly, that you can do yourself. We're going to tell you exactly what you need to know just ahead. And frozen water pipes are a serious risk during very cold winter weather. We're going to share some super simple and inexpensive ways that you can prevent those pipes from freezing and those massive leaks that for sure do follow. And have you guys ever felt a chilly draft, like whoosh across on a cold day? Well, it might be coming up from the floor below. We're going to share exactly why that happens and the easiest way to fix it in today's weatherization tip just ahead. But before that, we're here for you. So if you need some help with a renovation, a repair, or a decor project, reach out because we've got tips, ideas, and inspiration to help you avoid the perspiration when it comes to improving your space. Reach out to us right now at one eight 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 Money Pit or go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. Leslie, who's first? Kate in Minnesota, you've got the Money Pit. What can we do for you today? I live in a 50s Rambler in Minnesota, and um, when I moved in, the inspector said that our kitchen plumbing vent had been covered. So this summer, I went up there to uncover it, but the cap came off, and it's still welded across the top. Is there a reason that this would be sealed off like this? And what's the easiest way to uncover that for a DIYer? Hey, Leslie, I've actually seen this before. Uh, when plumbers put systems in, sometimes they do cap it so that they can check the pressure on the whole system. They'll blow air in it and see if they have any, any leaks. Problem is that this guy forgot to take the cap back off. So in your case, Kate, you could uh, cut off that end of the pipe to basically restore your vent, but I'm not sure where it is. If it's probably up in the attic, you really should extend it through the roof. Now, having said all that, you know, if it's been like this for a long time and you're not seeing like a sluggishness of the drains or hearing any gurgling or anything like that, you know, it's probably working fine. They'll be pulling air from other places in the plumbing system, and you might just want to leave it alone. But if you do decide to cut it, remember you got to extend it up and out through the roof. You'll need a piece of plumbing vent flashing to do that. you got to go on the roof. So it is kind of a potentially treacherous job for a DIYer that's not used to working in that environment. All right, now we're going to chat with Brandon from Ohio, who just bought a home, first-timer here, and has got a bunch of questions, as I'm sure you do. What can we help you with? Hi. Well, thanks for taking my call. Um, I am calling because the home has a little bit of a mold issue in a little room where the furnace is. 
And basically, it looks like, I don't know if there's water somehow getting in or or what it may be. But when I go outside to see what's going on, it looks like the gutters are working properly and pulling water away. But I do notice that, like, underneath, like, this portion of where the furnace is, mind you, there's there's no basement. It's on a slab. There's, like, a gap between, like, the bottom and there's, like, a space where I guess there's, like, maybe water's coming up underneath. I'm not quite sure what's going on. You have a central air conditioning system and a hot air furnace? I do, yes. Your air conditioning system, which is going to be mounted, your, your, uh, your coil for the AC is going to be on top of the furnace. And as the air blows over the coil, it's going to release condensation. And very often, the condensation can overflow if, like, the condensation drain pipe gets clogged or the pump stops working or if it's just humid, like, the outside of the ducts can start to sweat. And if you have a little bit of, of evidence of moisture around the heating system like that, that's almost always what causes it. And even though it looks green and disgusting, it may not be mold in the toxic sense. It's more likely to be algae. Uh, everything that's green is in mold. You have algae, you have lichen, you do have mold. But it's more likely to be uh, an algae. And I think what I would do is not panic over this. I would, I would watch it in the summer since we haven't really gone through a summer yet in this house. Mm-hmm. And, and you'll have much more information at that point as to what's going on. Okay. Okay, I'll give that a try. You, you'd be amazed how much how much moisture those pumps will put out. I mean, we're talking about gallons and gallons of water every day, just pulled out of, out of the air. Because when you when you cool air, it releases moisture. That's why when you sit outside in the summer and you have like a glass of ice cold tea, you get water on the outside of the glass because the humid air strikes the glass, cools, and releases the water. So that's the condensate that we're collecting in an air conditioning system, and then it has to be channeled outside. Awesome, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. You got it. Good luck with that project, and good luck with the house. Call back anytime. Yeah, you probably will hear from me again. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Good luck. Bye-bye. Hey, you want to support our podcast and help us grow? Well, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll be forever grateful. Plus, you'll be helping other homeowners discover our show. Just go to moneypit.com slash review. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than a 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's AirDoctorPro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Heading over to Texas where we've got Lisa on the line who's got a question about outlets. What's going on at your Money Pit? Hi. um, We have an older home. It was built in 1960. And in some areas of the home, there are older outlets with only two holes. And then in some other rooms, we have 
holes that have, uh, I'm sorry, outlets that have three holes. So my first question is, is it safe to leave them um, as they are with just the two holes, or should we have all consistent outlets within this house? Well, certainly you're talking about two different types of wiring, and the wiring, the outlets that have three um, that have the ground, the ground plus the two prongs. Uh, that's a grounded wire, which is basically run separately. The ones that have the two prongs is basically a two wire system, and the ground is done through the box itself. So, okay. uh, is it safe? It's yeah, it's it can be safe. It's not as safe or as as durable, I would say, as having the modern outlets. But it's just not a matter of switching out the outlets. You have to make sure you have the wiring there to support it. Now, if you're going to plug something that has three prongs into the two prong, you have to use an adapter, and then you have to actually attach the adapter using the center screw in between the outlets because that's how you're picking up a ground. And even doing that doesn't necessarily mean it's grounded because, you know, who knows how those were put together behind the walls. So if you want to be sure, you could have an electrician check them all out and find out if you will be creating a grounded situation if you use that adapter or not. But if you're going to do some upgrading, I, I never think it's a bad idea to upgrade your wiring and make it safe and make it current. I see. Well, that is very helpful to know. And that is something we can definitely take care of and contact, um, actually, uh, a friend of the family who's an electrician so we can Perfect. remedy that problem. Excellent. All right. Well, good luck with that project. Thank you so much. And you guys have a wonderful week. Bye-bye. All right, we've got John from Pennsylvania on the line who needs some help refinishing doors. What are you working on? Seeking recommendations for exterior finishes for wooden garage doors and French mahogany wood entrance door. These doors are directly exposed to the weather. I have additional mahogany entrance doors, but they're under porches. They're approximately 25 years old, and I have used Minwax Spar oil-based polyurethane marine varnish. Are there better alternatives? Well, maintaining uh, exterior wood doors is certainly a big challenge. They do take a lot of abuse, as you pointed out. Now, for mahogany, I guess it really depends on whether or not you want to preserve that mahogany. It sounds like because you used a urethane that you do want to preserve the beauty of the mahogany. And I think you're actually doing it right. You know, you're using a good quality oil-based finish that also is a marine finish. And by the way, the difference between a regular exterior urethane and one that's rated for marine finishing is that the marine finish has much better UV protection. So I think you're doing exactly what you need to do. The fact of the matter is, you know, it's only going to last a few years and you have to do it over and over again. Now, Leslie, you have a mahogany front door as well, if I recall correctly. What have you been doing? Oh, well, (laughs) I mean, I have a beautiful solid slab mahogany front door, and the exterior of it is in full sun all the time, full exposure, and it just took a beating. So every couple of years, I was refinishing that door, sometimes having to sand some areas, sometimes totally having to strip some things, but always with a new stain and a new coating just to keep it up. And finally, two years ago, I just painted the door black. I gave up. <laughs> so ba- so basically you gave up. <laughs> I did. I gave up. I mean, the inside's gorgeous. The That's inside, I just kind of like wax it and keep it beautiful and it's mahogany and right. lovely. The exterior is shiny and black and pretty. And I'm sorry. Dude. All right. Well, it is a solution. It is a solution. Hey, it's a trade-off, right? All right, John, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 188-MONEYPIT. Well, if you have a motion detecting light anywhere outside of your home, you know that it's a great deterrent to both people and critters that you might not want skulking around outside of your home. 
And if you don't have them, well, why not? They are very easy to install. They're very affordable, and they add a sense of security and a little bit of peace of mind. So as long as there's an existing light fixture, this job is a cinch. Kill the power, remove the old unit, and wire up a new one. That is about it. It's all it takes to add those detectors. Yeah, but how do they work? Now, motion detectors are small electronic eyes, and what they do is they detect heat waves from moving objects. This can include people, animals, and even cars. And that light stays on anywhere from 1 minute to 20 minutes, depending on how you set it. It's going to automatically shut off if it doesn't continue to sense any movement. Now, a photocell deactivates that light during those daylight hours, and most motion detectors have a semicircular field of view up to 240 degrees and an adjustable distance range range up to 70 feet or more. So you kind of control like how and where it's looking. Now, the one thing to guard against is what we call nuisance trips, like a pet or a passing card or in my area, deer that run through the lights and they turn them on when you don't want. They can be very annoying to both you and your neighbors. And in fact, some homeowners won't install motion detectors for that reason. But you can usually solve this by adjusting the range on the detector and aiming it very, very carefully. Now, motion detectors also allow you to operate the light manually, usually by flipping the switch off for a second and then back on. This allows you to keep the light on at night when you want to, even when there's no motion. And Leslie, we just put a motion detector porch light on our back porch and has one more feature, which I thought was really neat. At dusk, it goes on, but it only goes on to 30% brightness until you open the door or somebody comes up to the porch and bing, it automatically goes up to 100. So kind of a super cool feature to have. Oh, interesting. That's a really smart feature. Now, when it comes to figuring out where do you put these motion sensing lights, like how do you know what a good spot is? Well, for best effectiveness, you want to position that motion detector sensor to cover the walks leading to the front and back doors of the house, the driveway. You can also use them to light up decking, patios, any potentially hazardous locations. If you've got a stairway, swimming pools, those types of areas that you want to give some security to and also help you when you're walking through there yourself. Now, if you're using them for security, you want to position the lights to cover all the approaches to your house, including fence gates, patio doors, and certainly those darker areas of your yard. You know, I mean, bottom line is a good lighting can't guarantee security, of course, but it's one of the best low-cost ways to keep unwanted intruders away from your house. All right, we've got Janet on the line who's dealing with some insulation issues. What's going on? I have a side entrance on my home that was sort of an add-on area that is not well insulated. Am I better to find some sort of insulation to go up under this add-on, or should I pull the linoleum flooring up and the plywood underneath and insulate and then put the flooring back on? So, Janet, it sounds to me from your question like you have the ability to get underneath that floor without tearing it up. That would be optimal if that's the case. So I'm going to presume it's over a crawl space. And if that's the situation, you do want to insert insulation in between the floor joists, but you do it from the underside. Tearing the floor out from the top when you can get in an easier way would not make any sense. So I would insulate that floor, but I also would make sure I'm checking the ceiling above. If there's an attic space above that, that ought to be insulated. And then thirdly, you can do the walls, making sure you're sealing out any gaps that may be forming around there. Generally, the most important thing to insulate in any area is ceiling first, uh, then followed by floors, then followed by walls. That's for a couple of reasons. First of all, heat rises. Floors are generally easy to insulate and walls not so much, but there are other ways to try to seal out some of the sources of energy loss in those spaces that are easier than taking the walls apart from the inside. 
Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. Keith, New York is on the line and has a flooding basement. What is going on? During times of really heavy rains and downpours, um, we've noticed that the rain comes in through the rocks of the cement wall that our our house was built upon. And our house was built back in the 1800s, so it's been a, a slow process, and now it just seems like it's coming in all at once. Well, that sounds like a really solid house, Keith. I mean, I personally have a house that was built in 1886, and, and I've got old old brick foundation uh, here. But I can definitely sympathize with that, and the good news is that this is a very easy problem to solve. Uh, one that is very, very common as well. And the reason I know it's going to be super simple for you to solve is because you mentioned that this problem is consistent with heavy rainfall. And that means one thing and one thing only, and that is that you have some drainage improvements to make, my friend, but those improvements are not inside the house, they're outside the house. So you need to look very carefully at the foundation perimeter and you start with the gutter system, right? You got to make sure you have gutters. You got to make sure the gutters are not clogged and that the downspouts are clear and free flowing and discharging at least four to six feet away from the house. You got to manage that roof water. If you let the water run off the roof right along the foundation, it's going to head right into the basement. That is the number one cause of the condition that you're describing. The number two cause is the angle of the soil at the foundation perimeter. Sometimes if the soil, soil is going to settle over time, especially if you had a water problem, it settles as it goes. 
uh, you can collect a lot of water because it's not running away from the house. So what you need to do is add some soil to the foundation perimeter and slope it away. And you want to use clean filter, not topsoil, so that it can be tamped down and, and give you a good slope. You want to drop about six inches over four feet. You can add some mulch uh, or you can add some pebbles or, or, or really sod, anything you want on top of that. But you've got to have that grade established first. Once that grade is established and once those gutters are clean, free-flowing, and, and also make sure you got enough downspouts, generally speaking, you want one downspout for about every four to 600 square feet of roof. So if you stand back from your house and kind of try to rough that out, maybe figure out kind of in your mind what a 10 by 10 section looks like and just kind of do the math, make sure you got enough spouts. And managing that roof water, managing the, the drainage around the foundation perimeter, that will stop that uh, that problem from happening in a heartbeat. Cool. Because um, we built a, like, a, like a little gutter system when it hits the ground now because... We try to move it away from the basement uh, area. Um, when the rain comes down, it comes right off like on a slant. Yep. Well, do you have a gutter system? On the new part, yes. We, it, this is a really old right. roof. Well, if you don't have gutters in the whole house, that's the first place to start. And by the way, if you're going to put it up, I would put up the six-inch gutters, not the not the four-inch gutters. I would step up the gutter size because I find that it's not that much more money. And if you do that, you'll find that they clog a lot less frequently because the downspouts are just wider. Well, thank you very much. Barbara in Ohio is on the line and is dealing with something that's on the floor. Is it something we need to get up? What is it? Well, I have a brick floor in my kitchen and dining room. That's unusual. Uh, well, I, I kind of like it. It's, it was a farmhouse, and uh, when we moved in, it had, like, I would say 10 layers of wax on it. So I've slowly tried to get it off. I've used ammonia, let it soak, scrubbed it. I've got about half of it done now, but everyone's telling me, you know, replace it, and I don't really want to because it kind of adds to the uh, structure of the house, that kind of thing. But but uh-huh. my question is, I've got some of it cleared of the wax. I'm using ammonia. I don't know if there's any, another product that I can get to because it really is a lot of wax. I don't want to have, like, particles in the seal, so I have to scrub the floor again and get it all clean. How long do I have to leave it dry before I reseal it? Because I don't want it to have wet bubbles in it. I just don't know what I'm doing, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we, uh, we feel your pain. You know, you probably should be using a wax-removing product or a wax-stripping product as as opposed to the, the bleach and the ammonia, which just sounds like an awful mess. And that's going to do what it can do. And uh, there's actually a good article online um, about brick floors and how to pull the, the wax off of them. But brick is very, very porous. And right. because it's very porous, when you do wash it, if you let it dry for a few days, I don't think you're going to have any issues with it uh, forcing a new finish to kind of release. Well, see, the whole thing is I have to move everything out of my kitchen dining room. So I was... I didn't know if I had to wait a day, two days, so you're suggesting three days then. Yeah, I would definitely wait a couple of days. You can still use the floor, you know, while that time is going on. You don't have to move it all out, but I would definitely wait two or three days before I put my next layer of finish on it. What do you recommend as a finish? I probably would try to keep it as natural as possible. If you use a solvent-based wax, that is another option because if you did that, you wouldn't have to strip the floor. The solvent-based polish can actually be applied over an old wax because it'll sort of give good adhesion and it'll stick to it. So 
you're probably going to end up with a new wax finish. So if that's the case, you're, you're, you may not need to remove as much of that old as you thought you did if, you, if the new wax is solvent-based. It looks like it's black. I they bet. put this on and never cleaned it. No matter what you do, this floor is going to be a lot of work, okay? Okay. Because oh, it's truly. a brick floor, it's just going to use a lot, a lot of work. And if you don't get the old wax off, the new one you put on is going to lock in that color. Yeah, that's right. That's another good point. Yeah, I think I need to take it off. I've got about half of it done. I just thought when I was listening to your show, I thought, well, maybe we might have a better idea because you're right. It is a lot of work. <laughs> Nothing the hard work won't fix. Thank you so much. Well, it is about to get very wintry across this country, and frozen water pipes are a serious risk during these cold periods of winter weather. So when water freezes in a pipe, what happens is it expands, and then it can exert a pressure of over 2,000 pounds per square inch, and that's enough to rupture most any pipe that's filled with water. Yeah, that's right. In fact, a split that's just a half of an inch wide can easily cause over $10,000 in damage. But there are some very simple and inexpensive ways to prevent those pipes from freezing. Yeah, first, let's talk about how not to defrost them. For example, using a torch, that's a really bad idea, obviously. But Tom, you also advise against heat tape. But, I mean, isn't this what heat tape is made for? Yeah, let's talk about that. So so heat tape is um, a strip of of plastic with wires embedded in it. It has a plug on one end. And it is designed to be attached to pipes that are already frozen, and then you can turn it on and it heats the pipe up. But the problem is that people use it kind of like it's almost like it's electrical tape. They wrap it around and around and around pipes, and they even wrap it over itself, which is very dangerous because it's not designed nor is it rated to work that way. And so in the years I spent as a home inspector, Leslie, I can't tell you how many times I found heat tape that was plugged in and all brittle and decrepit and looks like it was sparking because it wasn't put in right to begin with. And secondly, they take it one step further. They wrap insulation on top of the heat tape. So it's just crazy. Huge fire hazard. So if you use it correctly, okay, but most people don't. That's why I think heat tape is a bad idea. All right. Well, fortunately, there are some safer ways. So, for example, here, guys, you can seal those air leaking holes and cracks that are around your house with an expandable foam, a sealant, a silicone caulk. All of those things will seal those gaps and cracks to stop that cold air from coming in and definitely keep you feeling warmer in those areas. Cabinets. If you've got a sink, say, or a faucet or something on an exterior wall and it's got a cabinet and it gets super chilly under there, keep those cabinet doors open. Let the heat from the room kind of go in there and warm that pipe as well. You can also let the water run at a trickle, and I mean just like a very little trickle just to keep everything moving. And Tom, you also use foam rubber pipe insulation to protect those exposed pipes from the cold, right? Yeah, absolutely. Just don't leave the elbows exposed. I see people do that a lot. Uh, at the pipe corner, just miter cut the ends of that foam rubber insulation with scissors and then secure the corner with some foam tape. It works very, very well. All right. But what about if you've got a pipe that's already frozen? Can you thaw it before it bursts or you got to be pretty quick about that? You absolutely can. So before you attempt to thaw it, make sure the faucet is open so you'll know when it's thawed. Uh, try to locate that ice blockage, and then you can use a heat gun or a blow dryer to thaw the frozen pipe. And as we said before, never use a propane torch or anything anything that has an open flame. Really bad idea. And if the frozen pipe is inaccessible, there is one other step you can take, and that is a thing called an electric pipe thawing machine. It's something that plumbers use. It basically is a really intense way of adding heat to the pipe, more so than what you would get with heat tape. You can rent these machines if it's a bad problem. And then you find the exposed ends of the pipe. 
you put the clamp from the machine onto the pipes, and then the machine will warm up the pipe and eventually melt that blockage. But that's an expensive step, and especially if you hire a plumber to do it. So what you might be better off doing right now, if you think that your pipes are susceptible to freezing, is to go ahead and insulate them with the foam insulation right now. They also have fiberglass sleeves that you can slip on top of them and does basically the same thing. Yeah, you know, this is a good idea. As somebody who has dealt with this issue, it is something you do not want to deal with. If you can avoid a burst pipe and a big leak, let's do that. All right, guys? Heading out to Massachusetts, we've got Bob on the line who needs some help updating his heating system. What's going on besides being chilly, I'm assuming? Would it be cheaper at all to run natural gas versus number two fuel oil? I want your professional opinion. So, Bob, I think that um, switching from oil to gas is a smart thing to do. Uh, Oil prices certainly have continued to go up. I think gas is more potentially more efficient, and especially since you're going to be replacing your boilers. The new boilers today that run on gas are really, really efficient. In fact, they're so efficient, there's a lot of rebates out there that are available. So I would not have any hesitation about making that switch to gas. If you don't have a gas line to your home yet, generally when you are installing a heating system or a large appliance like that, at least in our part of the country, the gas companies here will run the line into your house, set the meter up at no cost because you're going to become a customer of theirs. So I think that you would be well served by putting in natural gas. And you'll find also that a lot of the boilers today are what's called condensing boilers, which are the most efficient. In fact, I have a condensing boiler in my house and it's so efficient. I no longer need a metal vent pipe, my all of the exhaust gas from my system goes out of a plastic pipe and doesn't even have to go up the chimney. It goes out the side of the house so that I never have to deal with the issue of uh, cleaning anything anymore once it's done this way. So I think uh, a condensing boiler, gas-fired boiler would be a good choice. Well, have you ever felt a chilly draft whoosh across you on a cold day? You might be thinking it's time to check the windows on the doors for drafts, but it actually might be coming up from the floor below. But the good news is it's not hard to fix. We'll tell you how in today's weatherization tip presented by DAP. Yeah, you know, drafts that shoot up from the floor below your feet often happen because the rim joists, now that's the floor beam that line the exterior of the floor, those were never sealed properly. You might also spot these kinds of drafts by running the back of your hand along the baseboard molding on exterior walls. These drafts can have a big impact on your comfort and your energy bills. Yeah, that's right. In fact, the Department of Energy says the potential energy savings from reducing drafts in a home can range from 10 to 20% per year. Now, the fix for the situation is pretty simple. The best way to do that is with spray foam insulation. You want to head to your basement or crawl space and pull back the insulation along the perimeter, then apply the foam across the entire inside surface of that rim joist. Now, what this is going to do is both insulate and seal out drafts in one application. And once you're done, you can put the insulation back and you'll be good to go. Now, DAP makes touch and foam, which is a perfect system for a job like this, Touch and Foam is a portable, self-contained, one-component polyurethane foam dispensing kit that's perfect for pros and serious DIYers who want to seal and insulate those gaps in the wall and in your floor cavities, as well as attics, basements, even crawl spaces. And as the foam is applied, it expands to fill those gaps where those drafts sneak through, and that's going to leave you a lot more comfortable. And that's today's weatherization tip presented by DAP makers of Touch and Foam Professional Wall and Cavity Foam. DAP revolutionized spray foam application with the first one-component broadcast spray foam. You'll find DAP Touch and Foam system at Menards and select Home Depot stores or learn more at DAP.com. 
dap.com. That's dap.com. We've got Ann in Texas on the line with a question about a countertop. Tell us what's going on. I wondered if my countertop, if I could uh, have a leather look to them, and I would like to have them smoothed down. Is that something that can be done since they're already installed, or do they have to? Do I have to change them out? Uh, and I mean, if this is a leathered look granite, which is, you know, a very specific finish to give it that sort of rippled texture. I mean, I, I don't think it actually looks like leather. It just looks like it has, you know, a very matte sheen and a lot of texture to it. I don't think you can smooth that down at all, especially if it's installed. I mean, this is something that would have to go through extensive machinery to be smoothed and resurfaced completely, right, Tom? It'd probably be cheaper to replace it completely than it would be to smooth out what you have. Yeah. I mean, if it turns out that it's not granite, you just have like a leather pattern to say a laminate, there are great countertop finishing kits out there that use real stone. Like there's one called Spread Stone, which is a countertop kit that uh, when you apply it, it takes about a weekend. It gives you a good-looking top. It's heat-resistant. It's water-resistant. But again, you can only use it on a laminate. If this is granite and it has that, that textured rough pattern, then no, you cannot, you cannot definitely smooth it out. So wish we had better news for you, but that's the situation, and Good luck with that project. Emily wrote into Team Money Pit saying, there's a fuzzy white growth on my basement walls. Is it mold? Ah, you know, a lot of people think that fuzzy white stuff is mold, Emily, but it is much more likely to be something that is known as efflorescence. Basically, these are crystals of mineral deposits that are left behind when the moisture migrates through a foundation wall and then evaporates. So the water goes away, but the mineral salt deposits stay, and that's what kind of crusts up on that inside surface. It could look white. It could look gray. Sometimes it looks a little black, but it is not mold. And we can even prove this if you want to take uh, some vinegar, white vinegar and water, and uh, maybe put uh, 25% or so vinegar, maybe a little bit more uh, into some water and spray it on those deposits, you're going to find that they just melt away. And that'll prove for, for good that it's just not mold. But it does also tell you that you've got to do something to reduce the moisture that's on those basement walls. So we would go back to our general advice on this topic, which is keep your gutters clean, keep your downspouts extended, and try to slope that soil away from the wall. Those are the things that really make a difference in terms of keeping that water out of your basement and your crawl space and avoiding all of that ugly efflorescence that gets left behind. All right, next up, Justin says, I bought a new range and now my other kitchen appliances are looking a little tired. That does tend to happen, even though they've got plenty of use left in them. Is it possible to paint these major appliances? It's probably a good strategy for getting your significant other to agree to more appliance replacements than were originally budgeted, right? You buy one, <laughs> you go, wow, it looks great. But boy, do the other appliances look like heck. So <laughs> for whatever reason you did this, Justin, I say that you definitely can paint those other appliances. Some of them are easier to paint than others. First of all, I would tell you the type of paint you choose for appliances is significant. You need to choose epoxy spray paint. Not just any type of metal paint, but epoxy paint. When you use the epoxy paint, first of all, it takes a really long time to dry, which is a good thing because it will flow even, won't leave any spray marks there, and it provides a very tough surface. So, for example, if you're painting, you know, the door of your dishwasher or your, your range uh, exterior, you're not going to have uh, surfaces that get easily chipped and, and banged up. 
Now, some appliances like dishwashers actually have replaceable fronts, so that's worth checking out too. Uh, you want to go ahead and Google the manual for your appliance and find out if the fronts are replaceable. Sometimes there's multiple panels buried behind each other inside of a dishwasher, and you could pull off you know, a green panel and put on a white panel or whatever, how they've designed it. Sometimes those panels have one color on one side, one color on another. So I would definitely look into that. But you definitely can paint those appliances. It takes some work. You know, you got to do it the right way. You got to take all the handles off and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they'll look really good. And uh, I think it'll save you the cost of a new appliance, at least for a little while. All right, Justin, but listen. This is a project that requires patience because it does take a full day to dry, maybe a little more. It is going to be sticky. You just got to ride it out and let it do its curing and let it dry. So think about what you want to have for takeout for those next couple of days because you're going to be eating it. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Thank you so much for spending part of your weekend with us as we all speed towards the holidays and the end of the year. Remember, if there are projects that you really like to get done and done right the first time, you can reach out to us anytime at moneypit.com. There's also a wealth of tips and advice on our website at moneypit.com. Just search for what you're looking for, and I guarantee you, you will find the answer right there. But for now, that's all the time we have. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 